What up, what up? Jimmy Murray here with Frank Padalano, and we are the Cashflow Kings. The Cashflow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and investing and investing with an emphasis on cash flowing real estate. Thanks for joining the Cashflow Kings and welcome to our new episode, Affordable Development with Evan Holiday. We're here to help you crush your goals. So Evan, excited to have you on today and, and hear a little bit about your story. I know that we had a chance to meet out in Denver early in the year, pre-COVID. Um, so it was really cool to meet you out there. And uh, I think that our listeners will get a ton of value from what you're able to provide today. Yeah, thank you for having me on, guys. Uh, just love what you guys are doing. Love your guys' energy. And, and yeah, excited for today's episode. What's really crazy is, um, I mean, it sounds seems like so far away, not just uh, the best ever conference, Jimmy, but also, I mean, a year ago, before that, I met Evan in Boston. We just happened to, uh, yeah. so he was at a, uh, a conference for affordable housing, and uh, we just connected, and we went up and uh, had breakfast, stuff like that. You know, I drove an hour plus each way just to be able to hang out and meet him, stuff like that. It was really awesome. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, so Evan, honestly... That's the beautiful thing I love about it is like you can, you know, you can meet people from Instagram. I think that's where we all got connected. Yep, definitely. And, <laughs> and now we're here on a podcast and we met in person multiple times. It's beautiful. Well, one thing I like is how uh, investing, especially in real estate, is very much a team sport. Uh, some people do the dog eat dog style, but um, a lot of people are willing to help out, share, et cetera. So, uh, and especially with affordable housing, this is uh, definitely the, the right way to go. So why don't you tell us, uh, how did you get started in real estate? Yeah, good question. Um, I took kind of a roundabout way and, and also a very kind of unique way of getting into real estate. Uh, I really got into it in college. I was going the pre-med route in college and I realized quickly, I was like, this is not for me. I need, I need something with impact, you know, cause I love that about um, doctors is that you could really help people. And so I ended up stumbling across, there's this big student housing development on campus. And uh, one way or another, I got an introduction to the owner and I impressed him enough uh, so that I was the first one that he hired. And I really just, I learned a to Z about development, just being around it. Like literally I was there from like, as they were doing the construction, I was like out there taking videos of it with my phone and, and just learning that whole process. Also learning that I don't want to be in property management. Uh, <laughs> I want to be on the developer side of the table. And so that, that from there, I just kind of jumped in the deep end. I said, yeah, this is, this is definitely where my passion is. It's about creating neighborhoods. It's about helping others. It's about impacting others. And from there, it just, you know, one thing led to another. While I was still working there, I started a modular company with a few others of us in college. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing, but we, we were passionate about it. And we wanted to do attainable housing and affordable housing within modular housing. Uh, and so while we were trying to get investors and partners for that, uh, we ended up stumbling across what is now the biggest affordable developer in the country. And they said, like, hey, how about Evan? How about you come work with us? And so that's, that's really how I got into it. I learned, I cut my teeth with that group. They're the biggest affordable developer in the country. I learned so much there uh, and they gave me so much responsibility and I was able to develop uh, multifamily affordable developments all over the Southeast. That's and so awesome. from there, yeah, it was amazing experience. I mean, I literally got it, you know, I say I got in the back door, you know, I snuck in, I said, Hey, you know, this is the best way, the quickest way for me to soak up this high level knowledge by surrounding myself with the, the, the people leading the company were, you know, combined had a hundred years experience in multifamily development. 
I was like, you know what, I could really learn something from these guys just being, you know, have easy access, direct access to them anytime I want. Um, so I really learned a lot there. And then from there, propelled out and launched my own company, Holiday Ventures, where we do resident empowerment through our communities, uh, providing that attainable housing because it is so across the country. It's just massively needed. There's over 7 million units of affordable housing needed. And that was pre-COVID. Um, yeah. So there's just this massive need. And I, I have found that I'm really pumped about it and I get excited about it, as you can tell. Uh, and so, yeah, I found my passion. I've just dove in the deep end with it. And it's it's turned out to be a, a pretty good run. That, that first one, that first one, What um, where was it? What college was that? Yeah, that was University of Louisville. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was a really cool development. They had, it was $55 million, 380 beds. Uh, there was 12 commercial units. So they had like restaurants, a bank, a bar, convenience store, ice cream shop, and they used new market tax credits uh, to help finance the commercial portion. Uh, it was just a really complex deal. So it was really cool to learn that. Also, the great thing about working for others is you also, you learn what's good and you learn what to do. Uh, but you also learn some things of what not to do. So I definitely learned along my way of how I didn't want to run my business. Definitely. So after you pull that first one together, um, what's, what's the next step from there? Yeah. So, um, so I was really just learning on that first one with, with the developer doing the deal. And I was just kind of soaking in all the knowledge uh, working for him. But after that one, it was really like the modular throughout that process we were able to work on some single family units, but we never actually got to build a multifamily. We we're really in the pre-development phases, like figuring out what we didn't know. Um, and through that education process, that's where I got linked up with the, the big affordable group. And so worked with them for quite a while, just really learning the business, learning a whole lot of what I didn't know about the business. Uh, and, and then finally the first development, the full on first affordable development I did was 192 units in Baton Rouge. Uh, it was about a $30 million project. Uh, awesome. And that, you know, it, it sounds crazy. It's like, holy crap, 192 units. Like that's a big first deal. But also it's like, if you're surrounded by that level of thinking, then 192 doesn't seem, you know, out of the norm. Right? Absolutely. It's like, that's, that's what was expected. Um, and so that's what I always like to talk about is like, just if you're surrounding yourself by mentors, or if you're taking that approach of, of uh, like a mentor mentee within a existing business and being able to almost like an apprenticeship model, uh, yep. I think that's really undervalued uh, in businesses because you can learn so much from others who are already doing what you want to be doing. And that's exactly Absolutely. what happened there was I, you know, we just found a, found a piece of land in Baton Rouge and started working on it. And, and uh, there's a whole lot more detail to it, but I'll let you guys dive in wherever you want to. Yeah, no, so that's really cool. So I, I think that having a mentor is undervalued as well. So if somebody was looking to grab a mentor and, and kind of dive in deep in terms of what, what you've done or diving deeper in terms of what they want to do in real estate, what advice would you offer to them? Yeah, um, great question. I would say the best thing would be is to show your passion. Uh, I think, I think that's one thing that really got me in the door in college. And then Definitely. each door after that, that's what got me in is 
I showed my passion and also I followed that up with, you know, being just being consistent and persistent in my follow through because just to give you an example, like that developer in college. So I impressed him by bringing a bunch of people out to his groundbreaking. And, uh, and then after that, I thought, you know, I thought for sure I had the job, you know, he's like, Hey, bring some people out to my groundbreaking and then we'll talk. And I brought like 200 plus people out. I was like, all right, oh, this amazing. is no brain Yeah. I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm going to get this job. And then it was like crickets, you know, it was like, no, no calls. No, I didn't hear anything back from him for like six months. And I literally called him like every week to two weeks, like, Hey, just checking in no response, no callback until finally, like one of his managers calls me and says, Hey, let's grab lunch. And then at that point they're like, all right, you're the, you're the first one we're going to hire here. And, but you know, it took lots of follow-up. It it was me realizing that, and this is what I would recommend to everybody is like, once you realize what your passion is, um, really double down on that and put all of your energy into that because you can really reach out to anybody if you show your passion. Like if people reach out to me and I can tell they're really passionate about affordable housing and they're passionate about impact investing and they're passionate about helping others, then I want to meet them. Like I, that's that's my people, that's my crowd, that's, you know, that's my tribe. And so, right. and I want to help people that align with my values and my mission. So I think that's the same with a lot of mentors out there is if, if you can deliver your passion and they can feel it, uh, then they they will inevitably want to help you. Definitely. Well, that just calling every week. That's just showing dedication. I mean, they'd be crazy not to um, not to <laughs> hire you for something like that. I mean, even if you're just intern in the start, because you know, I've I've had people that uh, Jimmy, you do too, that that contact us every week, and uh, eventually they either get involved in one of the deals or we help them more. We. Uh, we give them some advice here or there, you know, I can name one or two right now, but obviously we're not going to on the podcast, but there are people that send us uh, messages all the time. Yeah. yeah diligence. Exactly. Diligence will definitely provide the rewards that you're looking for, right? It'll either provide you the opportunity or provide you the learning experience that's going to help you get to that next level. So I think that's, that's really actual advice that you provided. Um, and I think the big thing, uh, you didn't use the word energy, but I think bringing energy with your passion, I think that really helps out and energy is contagious. So if you can bring yeah. that energy with you, I think that the, it's going to open up the doors even more quickly. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like you can just feel it even over phone call, zoom call, you can feel when somebody's energetic and passionate. Uh, and I can also feel when people are like slow or, you know, low energy, it's just, a, <laughs> it's a different vibe and you just, you, you automatically want to veer towards working with people that are higher energy and more passionate. That's it, man. That's definitely, it. Definitely. So on that, on that deal in Baton Rouge, like how do you wind up down in Baton Rouge? How, like now I know that you go to market strategies kind of like country wide, but how do you like hone in and, and find those specific deals where, that you want to tackle? Yeah. So Baton Rouge specifically, Uh, That was really because the company I was working with, they already had some strategic relationships down in Louisiana. They basically went to Louisiana after Katrina uh, because it was such a huge need to redevelop New Orleans and surrounding areas. And then afterward, they just stayed. Uh, And so I I basically picked up the state as my territory of sourcing new deals and building relationships, finding capital, finding sites, and, and putting that all together to make a development work. And so it really just started out by, we started looking at what the, whenever you're doing affordable housing, there is a document called a QAP, it's Qualified Allocation Plan. Each state has one. And so uh, it's like a rule book, basically, 
and they do it every year of how to get credits and how to get funding and financing from the state for your affordable housing development. By the way, we're both writing that down right now. (laughs) (laughs) Qualified what? Qualified allocation plan. I haven't even heard of it before. Yeah, you can, you can Google it for your state. uh, And then, and then that will basically tell you if you, you know, sometimes it's 50 to hundred pages long. So it can be a little dense, but if you go through that, it'll tell you exactly what they're looking for in projects. They also have different grants and loans that they offer to help you further finance these projects. So we, we knew there was funding coming out. So we started looking for our next site. So we actually found two sites. We found one in Baton Rouge, one in Lafayette, Louisiana. We put them under contract based on knowing that we could fit, you know, roughly 200 units. That's usually the minimum, uh, like 192 is eight 24 unit buildings. So we knew that going into this, we could fit 192 units at least. And that would, that scale would give us uh, the returns we needed to actually be able to, to move forward on the deal. And so once we got it under contract, then we applied for the funding. Once that, that RFP came out, that's what basically the funding round the uh, request for proposals. So the RFP came out, we applied for it. We actually got awarded on both of them. So uh, it's crazy because those were the first two applications I ever did. And we went two for two and we ended up eventually getting both closed. Lafayette took a whole lot longer, but, um, but yeah, just, it came down to knowing the QAP, knowing what they're looking for. Uh, also working with the local politicians, making sure they're on board with the project. Uh, we made sure we went after zoned land. Um, we made sure we understood the market demand in the area. What, like how many affordable housing units do they need? Where do they need it? What price point are they willing to pay for? Uh, so we used our local property management company to fully understand that before we started really spending a lot of money. Um, but once we, once we got the award from the state, that's when the real work starts. That's when you work with the architecture engineers, you put the plans together. Once you have your plans together, then you go to permits. You ask for the city to give you permits for the project. And then all while we're doing that concurrently, we're talking to equity investors and uh, loan providers who are gonna finance the deal. Um, so it's a, it's a long process, but it took us from, from getting the grant to closing, it took us about 12 months. So, that actually sounds lightning fast. It sounds like nothing for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just to go back on what you said, the financing is really three components in terms of grants, private equity, in terms of private investors that you work with. And then I would say more traditional financing, but it's really not traditional because you're obviously working with, I don't know whether it's private equity firms or, or other large um, mortgage type investors. Yeah, we, so the way the financing works in a kind of one-on-one version nutshell is uh, this, the federal government gives tax credit to the state government and then they allocate based on their QAP to the projects that they think are worthy for funding. They like the projects Got it. or they score well. Um, then they give us tax credits. So the project gets the credits and then those credits, um, we will actually, we don't keep those. The project doesn't keep the credits. We sell the credits to an investor so that investors typically private equity syndication group, or it's a bank directly, or it's insurance, or even some, you know, we've had random investors like Google invested in one of our deals. Um, so That's you can really have, cool. yeah, you can have groups that just want the tax credits because it's dollar for dollar right off on your, on your taxes. So anybody that has a huge tax liability, 
can use those credits, but usually banks, banks are actually required to buy these credits. So you have a built-in demand of buyers for the credits. So we'll sell them to the syndication groups or the banks directly. They'll give us cash equity in return. And all they want is the credits, the losses and the depreciation. So in return, we give them credits, losses, depreciation. They give us cash. That's what helps pay for roughly 40% of our development. The other 50% comes from uh, a loan or, and then the last 10% usually comes from either our own equity or we get a grant or some other funding from, or a tax abatement from the local government. So talk about having like amazing leverage on your projects, right? I, I would have yeah. thought that that 10% component with private equity or like private capital was much larger. So I, I think that really provides some good perspective as we talk through that. Yeah. And, and really quickly, it's interesting because the, it's actually, it's 50, 60% loan to cost, uh, you know, on the, on the loan sizing, but the actual loan to value, because we are rent constrained, we're, we're basically to get the credits, we agree to keep our rents capped at right. a certain, basically 60% of area median income. Uh, and so because of that, it's actually 80 to 90% loan to value. So that's really interesting. Yeah. So, so, so technically, yeah. How, say? Yeah. So how does that work? So um, if your rents are capped at 60% of medium in, median income in the area, is that, do you redraw that line every year, three years, or at what point are you able to increase rents to continue to drive that return? Yeah. Uh, so, so really you can, you can change it every year. So for instance, if the average income for an area for Baton Rouge or Austin or, you know, Boston or wherever, if it keeps going up, then your rents can keep going up with that. Um, so that's why we typically want to be in, in high growth, high income growth, high um, population growth areas, because we want to be in areas where we know we're typically owning these for 15 years or more. So we want to see that growth because that's what we're putting. We're usually putting in like 2% rent growth in our performa. So we want to make sure on the front end that we're signing up for something that really will increase. Evan, question for you. How long is that um, rent? I, I know it can go up over time, but how long is it capped as affordable? Is it different by state or is, I know in Rhode Island, I think it's like 30 years, Jimmy, but I, I, is it a different other parts of the country? Yeah, each state has its own ability to, like through the QAP, they can change their own rules. Um, but the, the federal minimum for tax credits is 15 years. So the minimum is 15, but I think in like the, I don't know when exactly, but maybe like the mid 90s, I think, the state started adding on, they tacked on another 15 years. So most, uh, most states now, you basically are at 30 years total, but your federal so requirements are just 15 years. So the affordable housing complex that you guys build has yeah. to remain affordable on a federal level for 15 years. And then it can go market rate thereafter, unless there's another state guideline. Yeah. 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 Mandate. So we agree to, yeah. It, in order to get the credits, cause the states are the ones that control them. You have to agree to whatever they say. So they add on another 15 years. Um, but you Cut can up. actually, after year 15, you can go back and double up on your credits. Like if you want to fix up the property, if it needs uh, updating, you know, around year 20 or whatever, um, then you can actually go back and what they call re-syndicate. And you can go in and ask for more credits. You sign up for another 15 years at the federal level. 
um, and you basically restart the process, but you can do that after year 15. Got it. What would be the smallest project uh, that you think? So say that, I mean, 192 units is huge. It's beyond the average person's comprehension to get started. Uh, can you do that on a much smaller scale or, or what? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, 100%. So you're right. I mean, that is a big number to get started out with. So you can totally get, get like, do your first deal with a 20 unit or 40 unit deal. Um, there's usually the, the, what I always like to remind people of is, and especially like our mentoring clients, is that there's a diminishing return of, you know, you usually have per deal, like your certain fees are going to be the same. There's hard no costs and legal unit, costs and everything else. Yeah, there's sunk costs. There's there's flat rate costs that, you know, if there's legal fees, it's going to be 50 grand, let's say, whether you're doing a 20 unit deal or a 200 unit deal. So your cost per unit goes up the less units you do. But yes, you can 100% do this on a 20 unit, 40 unit, you know, a, a much smaller deal than coming out of the gate and doing 200 units. So, and then you left that company. And you went on your own, huh? Yes, Holiday Ventures. So tell us about that. I mean, how, how crazy was it for you to be working for somebody that's, I mean, helped feed you in some ways and gain you so much knowledge? And it was quite a risk to go out there and try to do it on your own, am I right? Yeah, it was definitely, um, it was very, I don't know, it was, it was a huge growth period for me, I think, because you know, it's something I knew I needed to do, but you're right. I mean, it was, it was definitely one of those things where I knew immediately day one, I was going to take a big pay cut. Um, and going from that large payment to, to nothing uh, overnight is, is a lot to swallow. But that's why you take steps over time to prepare for moments like this. So this is something I've been planning for, you know, really my whole life. I, I knew early on, I wanted to own my own company and and run, run the show and be able to be the visionary that I, that I want to be. And so I knew that going into it, but you know, it it didn't happen that way. I knew I needed to gain the experience first and then I needed to gain the capital I needed to, to give myself a runway um, to be able to work on deals. And so aligning those two, and then also just making sure I had relationships lined up. I had capital lined up. I had partners lined up. I had potential deals all of that, you know, that's, that's the work you put in on the front end that you build that momentum. That way you're not just jumping off and hoping that you fly. It's like you actually put the building blocks in place so that by the time you make that, you know, big scary leap, it's not as scary. Um, so that, that really helped. And then also, honestly, one of the best things I did was as soon as we left, uh, so we actually left and kind of celebrated and went to Costa Rica for two weeks. Love that. And while I was there, um, and we also, of course, got engaged on that trip too. It was amazing. Congrats. Uh, Congrats. Thank you. Uh, but also on that trip, um, it was, it was a game changer for me was we, I brought traction, um, which I have it here in my office. But yep. So it, as soon like, as you made that visionary con, con, uh, comment, I was like, there's Gino Wickman right there. I hear it. Yeah. I hear it. Good yeah, stuff. exactly. So I'm sure your listeners know, but Traction is a phenomenal book. It's the operating system for our company and it's how we run our meetings. It's how we organize our company. It's how we create our vision. I um, have our vision traction organizer right here on our wall. Uh, and it really helped me get clear, like doing the vision traction organizer. For those who don't know, it's like, it's like your goals, it's your core mission. 
it's your values, it's your, you know, vision one, three, five, ten years out. And so for me to put that down on paper and really vision that out in my mind and journal it and put it on paper, um, that made things a lot more clear to me. So I wasn't just, you know, starting holiday ventures and, you know, just running around with my head cut off. I knew the direction I wanted to go in and it made it a whole lot easier to put one step in front of the other. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say it was like, you know, perfect right out of the gate. There was definitely a lot, a huge learning curve. Um, but I can definitely say now we've got, we've got massive momentum and I think it has a lot to do with that creating a vision early on and, and sticking with that vision. That's awesome. How long ago was that? Like 16 months ago or so you left, you left the job? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was about a year and a half ago. Gotcha. gotcha. Good awesome. stuff. So Evan, once we get, so we're about, about towards the end of our time here, uh, Frank's got a series of questions that we run through. So uh, the it. cool thing is that we didn't prep you. So this is going to be like right off the cuff and, and really fun. <laughs> All right. So first thing, let's see. Uh, I was going to ask that, but no, we'll, we'll, we'll give them the harder ones first. <laughs> if someone wants to become a better investor, what would you recommend? Uh, I would say find mentors and show them your passion like we talked about earlier. Hell yeah. Okay. Next question. What is one book you've read? We won't count traction. One book that you've read lately that you consider a must read. Who? Uh, good question. I would say the book I read recently, I don't remember. Oh, raising the bar. That's what it's called. Raising the bar, uh, a biography of Gerald Hines. He is one of the biggest, most badass developers in the world. Uh, he just passed away, but he basically developed Houston. He developed a lot of the skyscrapers that we know around the world. That's uh, amazing. So highly recommend that book. Good stuff. And it's a book that Jimmy hasn't read, which is a pretty big deal. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I, yes, I haven't uh, heard of that one. By the way, I've invested in uh, some of uh, one of Evan's uh, deals recently. Evan does a little bit of the syndication space as well. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky, right? Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Uh, last question. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? That means, uh, you know, five years <laughs> from now or so, uh, what's, what's Evan going to be doing and what's this business going to be like? Oh, big question. I love it. Um, so luckily, thanks to Vision Traction Organizer, I know that. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, no, I, I would say the biggest thing is like at, in five years, we have just built a massive momentum for our business. Uh, it compounds every year to the point where we are the uh, go-to expert as far as affordable workforce housing. We want to like turn the marketing on its head and just we want to have cities come to us instead of us having to reach out to cities. We want to say you know, we brand ourselves as this knowledge um, center for affordable housing. We teach people. We share that knowledge. It's crazy. There's nobody doing it. But we know that there's this massive space to be filled in providing quality attainable housing. So we want to be the go-to resource in five years. Good stuff. So what is the best way to get a hold of you or what else do you have going on that you right now to help others? Yeah, I love it. Thanks for asking this. Um, yeah, the biggest thing is if you want to connect with me or see what we're up to, uh, it would be on Instagram at Evan Holiday, E-V-A-N-H-O-L-L-A-D-A-Y. Uh, we also have our monumental podcast where we have on 
amazing guests, uh, top 200 business podcasts. And then finally, uh, Affordable Development Mastery. Uh, that is our mentorship program for anybody interested in doing what we're doing and getting into affordable uh, housing development. Uh, this is where we take you A to Z through the program. It's a coaching and a uh, course program. Awesome. So if you guys are interested in learning more about Evan, check him out on Instagram at the, under the handle at Evan Holiday, H-O-L-L-A-D-A-Y. And be sure to check out his monumental podcast. We've had a chance to talk with Evan multiple times, incredibly intelligent guy. And it's been amazing to watch his journey. So we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode of the Cashflow Kings podcast. In between time, you can check out our website at thecashflowkings.com or give us a follow for daily content on Instagram and in Facebook under the handle The Cashflow Kings. Cheers to your success. The Cashflow Kings program is for basic entertainment purposes only. We do not give official legal, tax, or investment advice.